Good morning. Great to be with you worshiping Jesus. My name is Wade, and we're going to continue worshiping the Lord as we open God's Word. Uh, I am the college pastor, and I serve alongside these awesome students here. So if you're a college student and you're not here, make sure you make your way over here. I'd love to get to meet you, and there's college students here that'd like to meet you as well. Uh, We're going to be in Philippians. We're continuing our series in the book of Philippians, written by a man named Paul. Paul used to be called Saul, but then he had a wonderfully life-transforming encounter with the risen Jesus, and the song of Paul's life basically was the song we just sang. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. That was the heartbeat of Paul's life. And that's the heartbeat of this letter in Philippians. In many ways, actually, Philippians gives us an insight into the heart of Paul in ways that other letters that he wrote don't. And so this is a really wonderful letter to understand what it means to be a Christian. And so if you are new here, uh, what it means to be a Christian is just that, is that Jesus is your life. We're not asking you uh, to add on uh, some more rules or some different morality or to be a better person or to be a better version of yourself. None of that is real Christianity. Real Christianity is Jesus. And so that is what we want to look at uh, this morning. And specifically, how does Jesus shape our relationship and that, relationships? And that's what Philippians 2, 19 to 30 is all about. And so that's the, the title of today's sermon is The Jesus Way and Our Relationships in Philippians 2, 19 to 30. And as I've been reflecting uh, on Paul's kind of main point uh, and his argument starting in verse uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 27, Paul's talking about what it means to live as a citizen worthy of the kingdom of God. And he gets into Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 to 11, and he talks about, he's, he's urging the church to be a unified community through humility. And in how they relate to one another, that they are to put on the humility of Jesus, who came self-sacrificially uh, to die for us in our salvation. And that, that humility is to be our very pattern in our relationships. But as I've been thinking about Paul's main point, I can't help but think about Burger King. Why Burger King? Well, I'm not hungry, okay? I think the last time I had a Whopper may have been like sophomore year. Uh, no, false, actually. No, it was. And I just lied to the last congregation, preached this the first uh, service. It was actually a couple months ago. I was in the airport, and I was so hungry. I had a, had a Whopper. Anyways, so there you go. Uh, but I'm thinking about Burger King, not because I recently ate it, nor because I was hungry, but because Burger King has a famous slogan, or they used to have a famous slogan. Anyone know what it is? Have it your way. Exactly. Well, actually, you know, that's not their slogan anymore. They've changed it. Uh, I think about 2014, they changed it. It's now, the slogan is, be your way. That's their slogan now, be your way. They changed it because they thought the new one, the be your way, better defined how important it is in our American culture to express your individual self. So no matter what slogan it is, the focus is on your way. Have it your way, be your way. And that's the message, basically, that we hear all the time in different movies and songs, is you should have life according to your way. Pursue what's best for you. Choose what interests you first. You must follow your way. And this is where Philippians 2 comes into play. That's why I'm reflecting on Philippians 2. Because this current cultural attitude in America is the direct antithesis to how Paul is calling the church to live. And one of the things that we need to learn 
as Christians living in a certain culture is that we are always called by God through his word to be a distinctive countercultural witness to the reality of Christ in a way that's contrasted to the prevailing values and understandings of culture. So our American culture says, be your way. And what Philippians 2 actually says is something entirely different. What we have in Philippians 2 is humility. It is the Jesus way. And so if I was to summarize the, the Burger King way, or what I'll say in this sermon, what I call the BK way, okay, the BK way, in Paul's language is this. Look to your own interests first, then maybe you'll have time for the interests of others. But if you look at the Jesus way, look at verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. It shows what humility is. Not in selfish ambition or conceit, but counting others more significant than yourselves. Here's a key insight, verse 4. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So the BK way is, we could say it's this. What I want, I get. What I want, I grab. What I want, I get. Yet the Jesus way of Philippians 2 is entirely different. It's radically different. And is what us as Christians, if we claim the name of Jesus, we must live out this Jesus way, which is what others need, I give. It's not what I want, I get. That's the BK way. The Jesus way is what others need, I give. Even if it means costing myself. But here's a question, okay? And this is what's going to lead us now into our focus passage, okay? The question is this. How, how is it possible that you and I can grow up to become people of humility self-sacrifice, generosity, compassion. How is it that when we enter rooms or live in our relationships or in our marriages or with our parenting or our friendships or our roommates, whatever it is, whatever relationships we have in this church, how is it that we consistently grow to become people that our mindset, the way we think about them is what do they need and how can I help them and serve them in that need instead of What's in this for me? What is in this for my happiness? How can this person exist for my own personal gain and my own personal pleasure? Because that is the way, it's the BK way, it's the way of American culture. But Philippians is saying, no, Christian church, followers of Jesus, we are to be a people set apart, witnessing to the culture by living a distinctive life of the Jesus way. But here's the deal. How can you live it out? Because in some ways, if you're honest, you read through what Jesus is like in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5 and following, and he is humble to the point of de death, sacrificing himself for us and for our salvation. It is nearly, honestly, impossible to attain. How can we live out such a profound vision? It's almost as if you told a seventh grade kind of Pop Warner quarterback, hey, watch this video of Tom Brady, then go out there, throw like Tom Brady. Or it's like a little kid wanting to play basketball. And you say, hey, watch LeBron James. Now, go, be like LeBron James. That's kind of what it feels like in Philippians 2. There is such a massive vision, such a high standard of how we are to live out this humility. How is it possible that we can grow into becoming those types of people? And the answer is Philippians 2, 19 to 30. Because in this passage, the good news for us is it sh shows us something that we know by instinct and experience. It's this. It's that we all learn by example in relationship to other people. You know this on your job, right? There's only so much, college students, you ready for this, that you can learn by books. 
you just have to get a job, right? And all you know at they're not in college anymore. You get a job and you learn on the job, right? You have someone who's training you, who's, uh, you know, teaching you how to function the word program or whatever it is on the computer or how to perform surgery or whatever, right? There's only so much we can learn in terms of teaching. We have to grow through example, okay? There's only so much as a kid that I could learn about basketball by watching Pistol Pete Maravich basketball tapes. I don't know, some of you know who that is. Anyone know what I'm talking about there? Oh, those are awesome. Yeah, there we go, okay? Younger generation, you guys don't know. You're missing out. Well, anyways, these videos, right? Pistol Pete, he was an amazing basketball player, right? He'd teach you how to dribble. He'd teach you how to cross over. He'd teach you how to shoot, keep your elbow in, all that stuff, right? Well, there's only so much I could learn about basketball. I had to go outside, lace up my sneakers, and go play basketball with my dad. Because when I watched my dad, who is a great basketball player, I learned how to cross over. And I, and I learned how to do a spin move and to pivot and to bounce pass and to dunk. I'm just kidding. Didn't learn how to dunk. But you get what I'm saying, right? I think you all understand, right? We learn by example. Okay? We need other people in our lives to teach us, to show us how it is we are to live. And that's what we have in Philippians 2, 19 to 30. When you read this passage, it's probably the part of your Bible reading that you get here and it just feels like a bunch of random information. There's a guy named Timothy and a guy named Paphroditus. Great. Go on to chapter 3, which is talking about Christ. and Oh, so wonderful, right? We typically kind of skim through these pages. But actually, it's so essential because here's what's going to teach us. This is the big aim. If you take away one thing, here it is. You ready? So one thing you want to write down, one thing, this is it. We learn the Jesus way by following others who live the Jesus way, okay? We learn the Jesus way by following others who live the Jesus way. We learn to follow Jesus by example in relationship with other people. That's what it is. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read the text out loud, uh, and then we're going to pray together, and we're going to move on. We're going to look at how wonderful this passage really is. Okay, here we go. So hear now the word of the Lord. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How is a son with a father? He has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly will come as well. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at his seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. It is true, and it's given to us in love. Pray with me. Loving Father, you've adopted us into your family through Jesus, your Son. So please teach us today what it means to learn from one another in our family how to follow Jesus. By your Spirit, please exalt Jesus from this text into our hearts for your glory. 
And Lord, this time I pray for Doug Fern, who's preaching at East Campus. I pray for Thomas Hoke, who's preaching at North Campus. Fill these dear brothers with the Holy Spirit. Empower them to proclaim Christ clearly, faithfully, and humbly for your glory. I pray that you'd use us as servants of your word. Make us faithful and clear. Father, help us listen to all that you speak. Trust all that you promise. Gladly obey all that you command. And love all that you love for the sake of Jesus. Amen. So I want you to close your eyes for about 10 seconds, okay? Close your eyes. And I want you to think about the person in your life who has been the most spiritually formative person for you. Who has had the biggest spiritual influence on your life? Think about that person right now. Okay, eyes open. I'm assuming the words, if you could describe those person, the words you did not use about those, those people are selfish or prideful, unkind, harsh. I'm assuming none of those things would describe the character of those people. No, because that's the BK way, right? That's the what I want, I get. But I bet you if we could uh, use two words that, to describe it, we could use probably many of those uh, words to describe those people that you love so much and who have had such a wonderful spiritual influence on you. The two words I bet you could use is this, that they cared for you and they lived at cost in terms of sacrificing for your good. Care and cost. They cared a bunch about you. They spent time with you. They asked questions about you. They taught you something. They were always with you. They loved you. They cared about you. But also, I bet, they sacrificed. There was something in the way they lived that brought personal cost to them. Maybe it was time. Maybe it was money they invested in your life. Maybe it was energy to see you grow and develop. Whatever it is, care and cost are the two words. And these two words summarize the Jesus way in our passage today. So we're going to look at, here's the outline, very simple. We're going to look at two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, okay? In verse 19 to 24, Timothy is an example of care for others' growth in Christ. And in verse 25 to 30, Epaphroditus is an example of cost for the work of Christ advancing in other people, okay? Timothy is about care. Epaphroditus is an example of cost. And these are men the Philippian church is called to emulate, The Jesus way, first example, Timothy, care for others. Look down with me at verse 19. Verse 19, Paul begins what I call a sending sandwich, okay? He begins with, I want to send. And then if you look at verse 24, it says, I hope therefore to send. So it seems very clear what Paul wants to do. He wants to send Timothy to the Philippians so that he could be cheered by news of them. In fact, Paul thinks, I'd like to join Timothy actually and and come Come myself to hear how you are doing. You see, Paul started this church in Philippi a couple years earlier. And like any father, he wants to know that his children are growing up into maturity. And so how is he going to know that? Well, he's in prison, so he's going to send someone like Timothy who's going to go and live life with the Philippians and hear how they're growing, see how they're growing, and then come back to Paul and give news that's going to cheer his father heart and say, wow, yeah, my they're they're growing in love. Philippians are growing in the Jesus way. So he wants to send Timothy. But we ask the question now, why does he want to send Timothy? We'll look down at verse 20 to 22. Verse 20 says this, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned, genuinely concerned for your welfare. According to Paul, Timothy is the Michael Jordan of concern for others. You see that phrase there at the very beginning? For I have no one like him. There is no one compared to Timothy. He is unparalleled in his concern and care for your spiritual 
welfare. There's no one like him. In fact, genuinely concerned, you see that phrase there in verse 20? The, the word concerned elsewhere can be translated anxiety, anxiousness. And so there is kind of this deep emotional depth to Timothy's care for people. Timothy's the guy at Parkview who's in your community group, or maybe you meet him here on Sundays, or the lady, you know, who serves in the women's mission, whatever it is, right? That person, you know I'm talking about, you have like a 15-minute conversation with maybe even 10. It doesn't have to be very long, but after those 10 minutes, after those 15 minutes, you feel like you could go climb Mount Everest, right? Man, just so full of the joy of the Lord. You just want to love Jesus more. You want to go out and serve people more. You want to go home back to your, you know, your, your kids or back to home to your parents and think, oh, I just want to be a person who just serves and loves. That's the type of person Timothy is. He listens. He looks you kind of eyeball to eyeball, asks good questions. Timothy has a deep spiritual care for those in his life, and that's why Paul wants to send him to the Philippian church because he wants to do them good and see them grow in the Jesus way. Because look, Paul goes a little bit deeper. He now contrasts in verse 21, Timothy compared to those who seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You remember Philippians 2.4? What does Philippians 2.4 said? A unified loving church must be a people who look not to their own interests, but to the interests of others. And so what Paul is saying is this, even in the Christian church, there is a propensity for us to follow the BK way, to look at our relationships and think, what is in this for me? What I want, I will grab and get, disrespective, irrespective of what others feel. And that can happen in the church, but what Paul's saying, actually, man, Timothy, he is unique, and I want to send him because he's not like those who look at their own interests, but he looks at the interests of Christ. He's the one who follows the Jesus way where others need he gives. And then verse 22 takes it another level deeper. He says, you know Timothy's proven worth. So obviously the Philippians knew Timothy in some way. And it's a proven worth. It's a time-tested character and integrity. They've seen him live his life for Jesus. How as a son with a father, he has served me with, with me in the gospel. So here, Paul is saying something so significant. In the first century, in agrarian culture, the father-son working team was one of the basic units to provide for the family. And what would happen is a son would be a diligent learner from the father of a certain trade. And so for you to walk up to a young man in the first century and say, wow, you are a faithful worker just like your father, would have been one of the highest compliments you could pay a young man. And so here's Paul saying, he is a faithful son to me as a father, and we are together co-workers for the gospel. We both work together to see the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen advance in the different communities. And so in light of Timothy's obedience to Jesus' way, Paul explains that he wants to send him. Verse 23 and 24, right? He wants to send, I hope therefore, to send Timothy and he entrusts himself to the Lord that that will happen. So overall, what have we seen in this passage? Well, we learned that the Jesus way happens, we grow in it, by following others who live it. But more specifically, T Timothy demonstrates how following the Jesus way humbles someone to becoming a person who is so deeply concerned with other people's growth in the Lord, with other people's welfare. He wants to be a person who benefits others. Verse 20, again, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy is a stalwart example of someone who says, when, what others need, I'm going to give. 
What about us, Parkview? Is that what characterizes your life? Is that what characterizes our lives? When we think of the people in our lives, is it that our posture towards them is, where do they have need, and how can I go to them in that need and help them and bring benefit to them in the Lord Jesus? Maybe it's a teenager in your life who continues to self-harm. And we are called to show the Jesus way of tender compassion by bringing healing and conversation and drawing out your teenager in love to see what's going on there. And over time, through prayer and tender affection and asking questions, you are following the Jesus way as you show care for your dear teenager. Maybe it's a spouse who right now is living in fear about financial security. The Jesus way speaks husbands to wives, wives to husbands. It speaks the loving and good provision of a heavenly father who is so good that he cares for the sparrows. And if he cares for sparrows, says Jesus, how will he not also care for us and give us exactly what we need? The Jesus way is able to speak love and care to a spouse in fear. But what about a friend? a friend who is in continual suffering. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical. And what's happening is it's creating this spiritual doubt in your friend right now. They're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, as it says in Psalm 23. And in the midst of this darkness, Jesus is calling you to be the type of friend who walks with them in the darkness, who's like Sam Gamgee, right? Sam Gamgee who carries Frodo on his back when, carry, when Frodo can't walk anymore. The type of friend like Sam who speaks life in the midst of darkness, right? There's that wonderful scene where Sam says this to Frodo, Frodo, Master Frodo, the world's full of darkness and danger. But in the end, it's only a passing thing. Even darkness will pass. Of course, Parker, you know, we know, right? In Jesus, darkness will pass. So are we the type of friends that we enter into our other friends' problems and issues and pains and anguish. In their darkness, we walk with them and we journey with them and we love them through our presence, through our asking of questions, through our celebrating with them by eating meals together. Whatever it is that you know that your friend needs, are we the type of community that when we see friends in need, we are the ones that will care and bring the healing balm of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Parkview, do we care? Are we like Timothy in showing genuine spiritual care for those in our lives? But it's not only Timothy who's an example, it's also Epaphroditus. Look down with me at example number two, Epaphroditus, as an example of sacrificial cost for the good of others. Sacrificial cost for the good of others. Like Timothy's section, we also notice a sending sandwich. There it is again, okay? What do I mean? Well, look at verse 25. I thought it necessary to what? To send Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. And look at verse 28. Paul says, I am the more eager to what? To send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So why is Paul anxious? Well, look back up now to verse 26 and 27. What does it say? Verse 26. For Epaphroditus has been longing for you all and has been distressed. Distressed meaning he's in deep mental anguish because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He was near to death. 
But God had mercy on him and also on me, lest I would have sorrow upon sorrow. So what's Paul doing here? Paul's telling this little story, right? Paphroditus was part of the Philippian congregation. And they're like, oh, you're, you're, the, you're the guy. Epaphras, Ditus, you're going to send you to Paul, okay? And go serve Paul and be kind of a, del- a delegate on our behalf. That's what it says, a messenger from them to bring message about them to Paul. And while he's there, Epaphroditus gets sick along the way. And he's near death, yet the Lord has mercy on him and saves him from death. But what we see is something so wonderful about Epaphroditus. Because why is it a necessity that Paul sends Epaphroditus? Well, one reason it's a necessity is because, is because Epaphroditus is so, he's such a relational blessing. I mean, do you see the deep love that Epaphroditus has for the Philippians and the deep love that Paul has for, the Epaph- for Epaphroditus? You know, he has this, this deep longing for them, this distress over them. I mean, there's something deep inside of him. He is so connected to these people. He, he loves them so much that he, he feels such deep anguish that they hear, oh, but, oh Epaphroditus, he's, he's near death. But he's like, oh, I know you hear that. Oh, but I don't want them to know I'm okay now. And he just, oh, he's so burdened by them. He loves them so much. But what do we see? Well, Epaphroditus, he's like the Swiss army knife of relational ministry, okay? He kind of does it all. I mean, look what Paul says about him. He's my brother. He's my fellow worker. Jesus is our master. We're colleagues together in the gospel. But he's also my fellow soldier. We're in the trenches together in this whole spiritual warfare of spreading the gospel in the first century. We are together in this. And then Epaphroditus' relationship with the Philippians, right? He's your messenger, and he's a servant to my need. So one reason Paul wants to send back Epaphroditus is because he's such a blessing. Because he's one of those guys in your life, one of those ladies in your life, that he just gives life wherever you go, right? With them, if they're there, life. You know what I'm talking about. There's people, you're there, death. You know what I'm talking about, right? Woof. But then there's people that you enter in it, and they just, right? They exude warmth and vibrancy, and you know it comes because of a sweet love for Jesus Christ. And an overflow of this love for Jesus is someone who just blesses others in relationship. Is that who we are in our relationships, Parkview? We ought to be, like Epaphroditus. But there's a deeper reason why. It's not just so they can feel better because Epaphroditus comes back. It's not that they can have the, the wonderful knowledge that he's returning. No. Look down at verse 29 and 30. There's a deeper reason why Paul wants to send Epaphroditus back. It says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For, okay, do your eyeballs see those three letters, for? When you see those letters in the Bible, you should say, oh, it's a purpose statement. For, why? He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul commands the Philippians to receive him, to welcome him back in the Lord as a brother in Christ and to honor him to respect him for, for demonstrating such a beautiful quality of what? Of following the Jesus way. Paphroditus followed the Jesus way of risking his life for the work of Christ advancing in others' life. What do I mean? Well, look, okay, risking his life to complete Christ's work. Not, not like Jesus did half, a, you know, half salvation on the cross and then Epaphroditus is this superhuman who does like the other half. No, no, no. It means completing it, making it, you know, spreading the work of the gospel outward. But look at the key word risk, okay? It's a, work that ha- it's, it's a word that has gambling connotations in the first century, okay? So, it, so what it's emphasizing here is this. Epaphroditus is the, is the kind of guy that the stakes are high, but I don't really care. I'm all in type of attitude. You know what I'm talking about? 
and he understands the cost of serving Jesus. And it, to, to Epaphroditus, it's really not that big of a deal. Because for him to live a life of costly sacrifice for other people is a joy because he knows Jesus. And again, if you are here and you are currently not following Jesus, what we're calling you to as Christians, when we speak the gospel to you, is we're inviting you into not better morality, not a better version of yourself. We are calling you to knowing a person named Jesus Christ who is so wonderful that when he comes inside to live within you by the Holy Spirit, he makes you the type of person that's willing to look at the different costs in your life and to engage them with joy in your relationships because you know and understand the deepest part of your bones what Jesus has done for you. That if he's willing to go for a cross for your sake, then any cost is worth it because you're just following your wonderful Savior, Jesus. You see, Parky, what Paul's doing here? Paul understands that these Philippians need to grow up in the Jesus way. They need to mature. They need to be the type of people that live together in harmony through humility. That's the way John McHale summarizes Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Harmony through humility. How are they going to do that? By putting others' interests in front of their own, like Jesus. But, but how is that going to look, Paul? How is it going to look for me to kind of live that out in everyday life, Paul? Help me understand. I want to be humble like Jesus, but how do I live that out? Paul's answer is Timothy and Epaphroditus. Because these men in real life are walking, breathing, speaking examples of the costly sacrifice of loving others in relationship, just like Jesus. And you know what we're supposed to do? Verse 29, a command. Is we are to honor these people. Parkview, we have all the reason to honor those among us in our community here at Parkview who are living the costly Jesus way. We think of Jeff Gilmore, a pastor who has faithfully taught the word of God for decades here at Parkview Church. We think of our wonderful lead pastor, Doug Schillinger, who came to a college men's retreat and who didn't come to have a bunch of fun, but he went downstairs and for an hour and a half, he scrubbed a pot full of chili that had stained and kind of basically lodged itself like into the metal. I mean, you know what I'm talking about when that happens when you have chili. It's some, I don't know what happens, but it like, it like clings to it, right? And Doug Schillinger went downstairs and for an hour, he just washed the dishes of all the college guys. So the college guys can go and play dodgeball and play video games, stuff like that, right? To connect in relationship. Doug Schillinger is the type of pastor who chooses the Jesus way and he's worthy of honor. What about the women in our midst? The women's ministry team, sacrificing personal time to disciple women and knowing God's word and how to care for friends and family in a gospel-centered way. That's the costly way of Jesus. Who else do we honor? We honor elders who, on top of insanely busy schedules, are adding on hours of shepherding us to know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to live in a way that is aligned with the good news of Jesus. The list could go on and on. We could talk about Sunday school teachers that are right now giving up hours during the week to prepare lessons and then hours on Sundays to deliver the, the lessons to our beloved, wonderful little children so they grow up loving the Lord Jesus and following, following him all the days of their life. Of course, the college pastor, 
I can talk about the staff at 24-7. I can talk about the college student leaders who sacrifice personal study time to disciple other students in reading the Bible. I can talk about the unknown servants who walk through these doors at nighttime, late at night, to set stuff up for Sundays, to clean this place, to be ready for Wednesday nights. There are people here who are constantly sacrificing personal finances and time and energy so that we can grow in a love for Jesus Christ. That is the Jesus way that is outlined in the life of Epaphroditus. It is the way that says, when others have need, I will give, even if it costs me. Friends, we learn the Jesus way by following others who live the Jesus way. So how does this shape life together here at Parkview? Well, in this way. Are there people in your life that are mentoring you in the Jesus way? For those of you who are kind of in the older generations, my exhortation to you, my loving exhortation, is that we have a group of young people here at Parkview who, yes, they probably know how to handle an iPhone better than you, but I guarantee you, you know how better how to handle relationships, how to handle finances, in a way that honors the Lord, how to deal with uh, faithfulness or disappointment at work in a way that honors the Lord. We young people need you. We need you. And not just that kind of multi-generational discipleship, but, but also this. The implication of this passage is this, is do we actually believe that we need each other? There's a famous uh, New York Times bestselling book the title of which, it's by a uh, communication technology professor from MIT. The title of the book is called Alone Together. Heard this book? You don't really need to read it because I just told, that's a brilliant title. Because what that professor is trying to show is we now live in a culture, right, that we are together, right? We can be in airports, we can be in uh, uh, churches, we're together, but we're alone, right? We are living in an increasingly disconnected culture where the ability to develop close friendships with people is a rare artwork now. It's a rare art form, but we must grow into it. And so I just want to ask a few questions here. Parkview, you you here sitting in your seats, does someone know the secret sins in your life that you're afraid to speak about? Does someone know the issues in your marriage that you need help growing in maturity in? Does someone know the fears about your life without kids and nearing retirement? Does someone know? Do people here know you? Are we living in a way that we actually need each other? Because we profess in a gospel that Jesus Christ did not just die to save us from sin, but then also to take us from the kingdom of darkness and place us into a family of love called the local church. Parfum, we are desperate to follow Jesus. You cannot, you cannot. It is unbiblical and disobedience to God to live the Christian life by yourself without people knowing you, knowing your heart, knowing your temptations, knowing your fears, carrying your burdens. It is clear in the New Testament that followers of Jesus live together in community. Friends, are we living life on life, shaping each other in the Jesus way? Parkview, we need each other. And the last thing is this. We need to remember Jesus, right? You know the thing about, amazing about Paul? I didn't talk about 
him during the sermon, but I just want to highlight Paul, right? Think about Paul. Here's this guy in prison. And uh, prison in the first century, terrible. And he, so he's going through all these experiences in prison. And then he has this guy named Epaphroditus come, right? And he, Epaphroditus, oh man, what a blessing, right? He brings encouragement. He brings love and exhortation. He reminds him of Christ. Man, Paul's heart must be filled with joy. But what is Paul willing to do? Paul is willing to send back a man like Epaphroditus. Paul's willing to send back a man like Timothy to the Philippian church. He is willing to lose something so dear to him, someone who's been such a great benefit to him. Paul is willing to live and, and to give and to give up and to lose. Why? Because Paul knew Jesus. Friends, at the heart of the gospel is a glorious, wonderful God who's willing to give up, who's willing to lose all the glories and rights of heaven and to come to earth to serve and to love and to care about you so much to take upon himself your sin and shame and judgment upon himself on the cross. A God so in love with you that he is willing at cost to himself, give up his life so that you would have life. Jesus Christ is the person who sees you in your need and he gives and he gives and he gives. Parkview, if this is who Jesus is, this is who we are called to be and we need to learn from one another how to live out this Jesus life. This is the Jesus way given to us that we are to live out together. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are so thankful for the community that you've called us to here at Parkview. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not just save us from our sin, but then you've, you've transferred us, you put us into a family of love called the church. And now in this family, we are learning together, Jesus. We need each other. Please help us repent. Help us turn away from the ways that we think we don't need each other. Help us enter into those relationships that will be challenging but that will be for our good where we are being known, Lord, and so that we can learn from each other, the younger generation from the older generation. Kids from parents, friends with friends, what it means to follow the Jesus way. Jesus, you saw us in our need and you gave up your life for us. May we, in response, do the same for others, we pray. For your glory and the advancement of your kingdom, amen.